What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Hani Rashwan is the founder and CEO of Amun, the company behind the first crypto ETP approved by a public stock exchange. In this conversation, we talked about the intersection of crypto and finance, how regulators are thinking about digital assets, and what the public markets for crypto look like moving forward. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Before we kick off this podcast, first a word from our sponsor, BlockFi. As many of you know, crypto investors store their digital assets on exchanges or in cold storage for long-term safekeeping. However, this strategy doesn't help them grow their investment holdings or build overall wealth. With the new BlockFi interest account, users can now securely store their Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. 6% is an absurdly high rate. It's the best rate in the industry. I highly suggest you go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP Again, that's BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning crypto today. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by POMP or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by POMP as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, I am super excited about this. I have somebody who not very many people know today, but many of you will know his name in the future. So, Hanny, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. There's no pressure, obviously, with that lead in. (laughs) Um, The only way to go is up. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, perfect. Uh, Let's do this. Um, Tell us your background and then we can get into uh, the super cool stuff you guys are doing overseas. Sure, absolutely. So um, uh, I dropped out of school when I was uh, 20. What a shame. I have since finished the degree, I'll have you know. But um, moved to Silicon Valley, uh, created a couple companies. Um, one was a, um, a flaming disaster, learned a lot. Um, the other one was moderately successful. We ended up selling that. Um, my, uh, lead investor in both companies was, um, venture capitalist, uh, called Tim Draper, who was a bit, was, and remains a, a very large Bitcoin bull. Uh, so that's Legend. sort of, yeah. So that's sort of how I first got introduced into this space. Um, all the companies prior were FinTech payments, um, lending, uh, all, all within the financial space. So it was also somewhat familiar. What's the thing you remember the most from talking to Tim Draper about crypto? Oh, so, okay. So here's a really fun story. Uh, he invested in the company in 2011, 2012. Okay. And, um, I would, I would have these quarterly investor meetings with him. And I think it was in 2012, mid to late 2012 that he would, um, I would present the company, what we're doing, et cetera. And it was a, it was a social payments app. So, uh, pay, f- uh, pay for stuff inside of Twitter, inside of tweets, inside of Facebook posts, et cetera. And so I'd present whatever it is we're doing metrics. And then he would ask me in one year, this is 2012 in one year, when everyone in the world is only accepting Bitcoin for payment, what is your plan? <laughs> And I would look at him and have to come up with an answer. You know, you, 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 what was your answer? You can't not. Honestly, it was it was it was 
very BS. But, you know, I, I would say something along the lines, well, if that happens, uh, we'll come up with something then, you know, what, but what a legend. But oh, my God, he was uh, he was a bull before anyone has ever heard of Bitcoin. I think um, I think he heard about it and then immediately intellectually, politically, emotionally was so invested in it. Um, and it's obviously paid back dividends. And he's, he still remains very, uh, very much a proponent to this day. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was um, I was surrounded by crypto bulls, actually. So uh, a bunch of my other investors ended up being early investors in Ripple. Um, uh, one of them was founding team Ripple. Um, and so I, I, I was constantly surrounded by people that were really bullish on crypto. And I just never, frankly, uh, thought much of it. <laughs> All right. So let's, well, it's funny you say that because let's talk about what you're doing now and then uh, we can get into some, some of the nuances of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was, um, something happened later in, um, after we, we sold the company, um, while we were doing the sale actually, uh, end of 2016. So, um, I'm Egyptian born and raised there. Um, and at the end of 2016, after um, decades of uh, ineptitude and corruption and bad luck, uh, the pound was going to be floated by 50%, which means that um, for every dollar, you would get eight Egyptian pounds and uh, overnight it would be 16 um, and people would lose literally half of their net worth. And I remember when I, when I was first born, that rate was two and a half. Uh, to the dollar. And I've seen it go up all the way to 20. Uh, and it was during that time that part of part of being around crypto and just dismissing it over and over and over again, is that I never thought it would apply to um, real geographies. So mm -hmm. whenever, whenever, whenever Tim or Greg Kidd was another investor of ours, uh, or anyone else would talk to me about Bitcoin, I'd think, okay, this is great for the Silk Road. It's great for ordering hits, drugs. It's great for North Korea, Somalia, those kinds of economies. Um, but then because of these macroeconomic conditions in, in Egypt um, and people losing half of their net worth, and when you couple that with inflation of 35% even more, um, we started seeing doctors and engineers um, getting arrested for buying Bitcoin in Egypt on local Bitcoins for a really? premium of 20-30%. And Egypt's not an economic superpower, but it's a regional one. It's the, probably the 20th largest economy in the world by PPP probably. Um, so it's 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 very much um, a uh, non-North Korea, a non-Somalia, non-Venezuela. Yep. Um, and that's sort of when it clicked. Oh, they're doing it because the pound when I was born was two and a half. And due to no fault of their own, just by simply being there, uh, now it's worth so much less. Mm -hmm. And if it's applied to Egypt, then it's applied to Turkey, Russia, Saudi, uh, India, China. And all of a sudden, it becomes a much, much larger opportunity and a much, uh, much, much larger uh, potential solution to a big problem. And so I think that's when it clicked in my mind. And... Um, First thing I thought was uh, we should make money off of this. So I, I, I tried to get my family to make a meaningful investment in this space. And um, being Egyptian with capital controls, um, the lack of infrastructure that 
frankly still remains to this day in crypto. It took us about five and a half months to actually get up and running and um, put our money in. All right. So hold on. I, I want to really spend some time on most people hear about capital controls, government censorship, um, you know, all these things in, you know, what for many people is just like these faraway places. You have a unique uh, perspective and experience understanding and growing up in, in Egypt specifically help people understand, like when you talk about capital controls, how does that affect the everyday citizen? Like, what does that actually mean to them? So Egypt is fortunate enough in that it didn't have that much capital control, but it did in this specific time period, very recently. Mm -hmm. um, what it means is that you are, again, it's very important to note, due to no fault of your own, you're simply being, you're, you've simply been born there, right? Um, your food goes up. Um, if you're exporting business, if you're uh, importing supplies, that is impacted. Less people are able to buy things. And you end up having an entirely different economic system mm -hmm. um, in addition to what's what's happening officially. And so mm -hmm. you have in Egypt, for example, you have a black market. And black market is, is typically denoted uh, in the West as something nefarious and, and crime ridden, etc. But... Um, I forget the actual term. There, there, are, there are nicer ways of saying black market, but in places like Egypt, um, our informal economy equals our GDP. Mm -hmm. And so what that really means is that Egypt's GDP is probably closer to five, six hundred billion dollars, of which 300 is um, in the official economy and a bunch more is barter, cash, literal gold under mattresses. Um, it's a country that growing up, despite being very much uh, um, an economic force and a real economy, diversified, etc. Uh, I think at some point, 90% of people did not have bank accounts in my, in like five, six, seven years ago. Wow. Um, which is, it's a very cash driven economy. And part of that is uh, the inability to trust banks, the inability to trust deposits, Um Imagine having a thousand dollars at the bank, but that's sort of you're you're a hostage there, and you're not able to really move it. And if you start moving more than you know twenty or thirty, uh, the bank can ask you what are you doing and why and how is mm -hmm. this happening and report to you. And so no one feels safe, which greatly inhibits the uh, constrains the economy on on every front. Mm -hmm. um, and a again, like. Uh, we have great examples of bad economies around the world. When it comes to a high middle income country like Egypt, uh, like Turkey, like Russia, et cetera, it's just a much larger opportunity set mm -hmm. versus just thinking about failed states. Mm -hmm. And if you're living in a heavily cash oriented society and, and economy, you're really by proxy cut off from the global financial system. Right. Because you don't have a bank account. You can't access other markets like it is so um, uh, kind of boxes you in. Right. Be because you only have the opportunities in which physical uh, paper or coins is accepted and, and can be moved. Right. And I think even you don't even have to go that far. Um, think about the issues internally. So forget about trading with other countries and having those constraints. Um, you don't have great access to credit. 
Um, mm-hmm. You don't have a great informational system. Um, you have an inability to grow at the same rate, to borrow at the same rate um, as people in other countries would. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a that's a very, very big problem because when you see like access to capital and access to financing is such a big um, deal. And it's part of what makes economies boom is if you have enough access to capital, um, you can grow faster and you, you can grow, period. Right. Um And even out, what I'm saying is people in Cairo and Alexandria, which are the two largest cities in Egypt, might not have great access to capital. But I assure you, it's even worse in the villages, right? It's even Mm -hmm. worse in the rural areas. Um, And that just goes all the way back. And so I don't even think you have to think about being cut off from the international system. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some people at at the top that are connected to it. There are exporters that are connected to it. But the thing about it is that for the vast majority of the people, 100 million, um, you just don't have proper economic help. You're constrained. Once you decided to start looking at crypto, right, you and your family did what? What what was kind of the low-hanging fruit? So... um, so my family, my family has been uh, import exporting. We had um, created uh, Western companies. We had Western holding companies, and yet it was still difficult getting money out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it was specifically difficult at that time to make a large allocation into crypto. Um, and I remember thinking, uh, my mother could just call her broker up and. Um, tell him to buy her shares of Barclays in London and Nestle in Switzerland. Um, and five minutes later, it's done. But she didn't have the ability to do this. And so we, we, we had to create this new, um, you know, uh, European entity and then do all the KYC ML, even though we'd done it before, even though we, we had mm-hmm. decades of history uh, in order to uh, actually go about making allocations. Um, often working with exchanges that I would not prefer to work <laughs> with, you know. And based on all of that work, you end up with a moon. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about what you're doing now and then we can get into the nuances. Sure. So um, I was thinking throughout all this time, wouldn't it be really nice if you could just buy this like you can buy a share of stock? And so a moon today, uh, our mission is simple. We want to make buying crypto, investing in crypto as easy as buying stock. Um, We listed the world's first uh, crypto index exchange traded product on the Swiss stock exchange uh, about a month ago. Um, besides being the first index that uh, is publicly listed, it's also the first physically backed uh, crypto product that um, has been uh, released on the public markets. It's 100% collateralized by design. Um, what does that mean? So a lot of a, a lot of people will yeah. have heard physically backed, right? Uh, whether it's with, you know, futures, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, but describe what you mean when you say physically backed hundred percent collateralized. So it's, it's super simple. It means that for every share of a stock that is sold or issued or created, um, there's an equivalent amount of, uh, let's be very, very simplistic and just say it's only Bitcoin. Bitcoin in a vault. And so for every $10 of shares uh, that we issue, we buy an equivalent amount, $10, and put it very safely in a vault. Um, so we listed on in Switzerland. And when you think about Switzerland, uh, the Swiss have a very rich, long history of uh, trading and storing gold. 
And so we did the same exact argument. Uh, just like you can buy shares um, on a stock exchange and be buying gold in the background, someone literally takes bars of gold and puts them uh, in safety deposit boxes, underground vault, etc., uh, to protect your assets. We do the very same thing, but you know, with laminated plastic pieces mm-hmm. of um, private keys and, and crypto. And so that's what we mean by physically backed. Um, that should provide additional comfort to investors. It's not. Um, it's not the debt instruments that we've seen before. Um, it, it, people have tried doing various methods to bring um, crypto to the public markets, and it's often either carried a very high premium. Um, so, for example, uh, I think during the bull run last year, there there was a public instrument out there, um, and people were basically paying the equivalent of $40,000 per Bitcoin on that because it had a premium of hundred um, percent or or less professional instruments that just are debt instruments that are not fully backed. And so if something goes wrong, well, there's nothing backing the the investment. And so we try to, in typical Swiss custom, make it as boring and conservative as possible, which I think crypto is missing uh, some of the more reputable um, perspectives and, and products um, and modeled it after something that has been traded for uh, a long, long time, which is gold. What were the challenges in going through that process, right? So you're trying to make it as conservative as you can. You, you've you got a general sense of, hey, let's go get this approved on the Swiss exchange. But what were the things that maybe were bigger obstacles than you thought, or maybe even some obstacles that popped up that you weren't expecting? Um, so there's, there's, there's two aspects of bringing the product to market, right? One is the regulatory permission. And if you look at um, crypto ETFs and ETPs around the world getting rejected, uh, you know, left and right by various jurisdictions, that's that's not exactly easy. Um, and there's there's no, there's no guaranteed way of doing it. And so we, in our experience, went around the world. Um, we visited or spoke with 28 different jurisdictions on every continent except Antarctica uh, and so, try to see who would be amenable, who would be open to opening um, such a product on a public stock exchange. And we didn't honestly get that many bets. Like of the 28, maybe three or four. We're open to it. We're open to it. Um, were the other ones like vehemently against it or they were just indifferent and, hey, this isn't a focus? So... Um, some were vehemently against it. Some um, shocking. No, so, some. The the conversation quickly uh, delved into. This is terrorist financing. Uh, disprove that, and you don't want to have that conversation. Yep. That's that, that's a bad start. Um, but in in a lot of cases, I, I think aside from a, a couple colorful examples, in a lot of cases, um, uh, we found regulators to be incredibly smart. Um, more in tune with the latest developments uh, than you would think, and just worried about, well, we, we need to let the market be more mature, or in most cases, it was, we need one of the bigger players to approve yep. this. And so if Hong Kong or the United States approves this, m- maybe <clears throat> we'd be willing to take a, a closer look. And I think a lot of people around the world, a lot of uh, jurisdictions around the world are doing exactly that right now. Um and so that that was that was one of the biggest hurdles of just trying to convince people and um, 
there were a few very small countries quite uh, excited, less regulatory constraints, but also less um, attraction for professional investors. And so uh, at the end, Switzerland was the only model that fully accepted us in a structure that made sense um, and was reputable, professional, etc. Um, but that that took a while. That took a while. One of the things is that, you know, we've been working on this. I've been thinking about this for two years. Um, we've been working on it for close to that amount of time, maybe a year and a half. And the company was only incorporated like five or six months ago. And a huge reason behind that was that we didn't know which jurisdiction <laughs> we would be in. And so you, you can't just become, you know, a German company or a uh, English company before actually realizing where are we actually going to list? That's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, we, for the longest time, it was just privately funded, credit card funded, no corporate backing. Um, and then, you know, lawyers had a fun time putting all that IP back together. What, what um, what's been the response so far? Cause I, I, you, so I think, before, before we get into the response, in addition to the regulatory thing, the, the thing that, um, no one's thinking about because no one has gotten regulatory approval, uh, is operationalizing this. And there's some really fun uh, issues associated with that. Okay. And so I think, I think we talked about one before, but, um, you go to all the service. Great. Congrats. You have regulatory approval. Now you go to all the service providers. I need an accounting system. I need an audit system. I need, um, order creation. I need a platform to trade these things on a daily basis. You know, you have a product that's live 250 trading days a year. Um, no one understands anything. No one gets what you're doing. Um, the big companies tell you that, oh, we need nine to 18 months to build fairly simple things. Um, my favorite thing is the accounting systems uh, only go up to two decimal places. Well, crypto goes up to eight or 10, right? How do you, how do you fix that? And you know, they tell you where we have an index. So they're like, well, just um, round. But when you round <laughs> and it's seven decimal places out, six decimal places out, you go to zero sometimes. And so we spent about as much time and it was actually harder to operationalize this than it was to get regulatory approval, um, which is, which is uh, you know, something that uh, others will s start facing. And mm -hmm. hopefully uh, uh, what we've built can be used by not just us, because we, we very much believe in, um, you know, a great tide lifts all boats. For sure. Um the oper operationalization, I don't even know if that's a word at this point, I like it. Um, is, uh, is interesting because it's one of the only crypto products in the market that actually can't have a bunch of uncertainty. Right? Oh, totally. <laughs> like, like the accounting actually has to be accurate. The auditing has to be accurate, right? There's no like, you know, I don't know, is tether backed or not? Like, so there, no, people want to know, is this backed or not? And there's a lot of eyes on us as well. So like we, we've been humbled by the reception that we've received. Um, we've, we've only been live for a month, right? But, uh, we did our first million dollar trading day, uh, a few days ago. And, and, and it, that means that, one million dollars was traded buys or buy or sell or all buy on the product. I think it's one direction. I'd okay. have to check, but I'm, I think it's one direction, which is which is pretty crazy. Crazy, given that the um, like put differently, we traded about twenty percent of our instrument in a day. That's that's very very liquid. So. Um, so if you were going to go like really hardcore hyperbole, you could be like, you have the most popular uh, exchange traded crypto product in the world. 
That's that's a fact. But, <laughs> but but in addition to that, we are also the top, um, not by market cap, but by volume, by trading yep. volume. We were the top exchange traded product on the Swiss stock exchange last month. That's crazy. And within, you know, it's, how, how many do you think there are? How many ETPs? Um, I don't know. Dozens, uh, hundreds, dozens, hundreds, okay. something absurd. But in uh, crypto, yeah, the Immune Crypto the, Basket Index was the the top exchange traded product on the Swiss exchange by just total volume. Wow! And so, um, and 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 today, it's very much a Swiss product for Swiss customers. We're working with regulators and other people to, uh, you know, bring it to more markets, etc. Yep. And so, if anything, the trading volume is really surprising, given that it's just the Swiss market today. Yep. Um, so when so, somebody buys it, what do they get? Um, they get, they get shares that go into your local brokerage account, yep. um, and you hold that. And then, uh, we just like any other public equity, just like any other public equity. And we use, um, we use the money that you put into, uh, purchase crypto. Um, and then again, put it in the secure vault in the back. And then, uh, and, and this is, you're buying Bitcoin, you're buying a basket. So it's a basket of the top five, okay. um, up to the top five. So they, they have to match certain, uh, requirements. Uh, right now our basket is Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin cash and Litecoin, but we can also include Stellar and EOS. Um, and it represents about 75 to 80% of the crypto market. And the cool thing about it is that it's a self-rebalancing index, right? So you get that diversification, um, you're not just constrained by being in one asset subject to its whims and, and moves. And on a monthly basis, if one goes up and the other goes down, we rebalance to adjust for that. And so at any one point, you're index investing, uh, you're buying just 75 to 80% of the crypto market. I don't know how much you can talk about the security and the way you guys have designed that system and, and some of the nuances that go into securing crypto yeah. um, in a regulatory compliant way that is uh, also available for relatively high volume. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about whatever, whatever you can here, but, but uh, so the, talk the, about this a little bit. The, the, the cool part about this is that even though some, most of the operations was very hard, we've also, um, we've also gotten some really good partners, right? Um, there's some, there's some very large companies that I can't announce yet that are coming up soon. But even the companies that uh, went live with us from the very beginning are banks and market makers like Jane Street and Flow Traders. And so- uh, Big names. Huge names. Um, our index is administered and calculated by Envis, which is a unit of VanEck, which is an even larger name, um, especially in gold trading and such, right? And we're able to rely a lot on their- uh, infrastructure and their um, uh, their specific products and, mm -hmm. and security, as well as utilizing and and putting even more safeguards on on our own. And so, um, again, in a very safe and secure Swiss way, uh, we do not directly control our index. Uh, it's updated once a quarter with like a 60 day notice. Mm -hmm. um, we do not directly store our coins. That's with an independent third party administrator. We do not directly price our assets. We do not directly market make our assets. And that's again, to give investors the comfort of um, there's not going to be nefarious, uh, one-sided selfish economic mm -hmm. incentives here. Mm -hmm. um, it's structured like a very safe conservative Swiss product. What's your argument to or, or your pitch 
to investors as to why they should have exposure to crypto? So I think there's there's ample research that shows that um, the return versus risk profile of crypto is actually quite attractive, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you can you can mathematically analytically go after that. I don't think about it that way. What I think about is if you look at use cases, if you look at people actually, again, getting arrested or being subject to uh, potential, you know, le- um, local uh, crimes or going the distance and, and, you know, going through immense pains to buy this, there's something there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it only achieves 1% of what literally the smartest people in the world in Silicon Valley are convinced it will, right? In the same way that they were convinced about the internet and the cellular phone, et cetera. You know, geez, that is worth throwing 10 bips at, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's going to hurt from doing something like that. That's, that's Yeah, th- th- that's just, um, exactly. It's an option on a future that would be at its minimum one of the best things from a social level to the vast majority of the world. There's something that that um, I think um, Kyle Samani wrote about, which is... Uh, shout out, Kyle. Shout out, Kyle. Um, read his blog post. He's amazing. Uh, he, 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 he asks this question of, if you had to invest almost... Uh, if you had to invest your entire net worth in just one of six currencies... Um, so, sorry, if you had to invest all of your net worth in just one currency, would you choose one that wasn't one of these six, which is the US dollar, the British pound, uh, the Japanese yen, the euro, and the Swiss franc? And I think if you, if anyone answers, you know, honestly, uh, there might be an exception here or there for the Singaporean dollar with, you know, a million people here or there, but no one would really choose something outside of that. And the amount of people that live in countries that issue these currencies are about a billion people. Put differently, over 85% of people in this world are in a country where their local currency is not their first choice. And so that inevitably to me makes it seem like a reserve currency just for those people would, aside from the economic incentives, just be a very good boom for these people socially. Um, And that's worth taking a bet on. That's sort of how I well, see it. The, you're getting now into the argument um, and, and people get all upset about this, but I mean, IMF literally released a paper toward the end of the nineties that said uh, inflation is one of the uh, largest contributors to economic inequality, right? Or income inequality. And um, the reason is a whole bunch of structural issues. But if you take away a currency that's based on inflation, you can actually create a more fair and equitable world. Absolutely. And you, you see that in places like Turkey, um, where they, they recently, they've had a very bad summer from a currency standpoint. Um, the lira took a pounding. The lira took a pounding. And there are reports out there that uh, Bitcoin usage in Turkey, Bitcoin uh, buys and sells, uh, has gone up three, four hundred percent in dollar terms while the lira was taking a beating. And so if you really think about it, it's actually much, much more mm-hmm. of an impact on the local level. Mm-hmm. And again, Turkey, uh, Turkey's GDP is probably seven, eight hundred billion, um, very much a 
very large economy. And if enough people are finding things like that, there, I, I was reading this report that someone was estimating that 45% of Turks in the next five years or so will be Bitcoin or crypto buyers. That is worth taking a bet on because, mm -hmm. it, it, again, from a social level, it's very good for the Turks, but also from an economic quality and from an economic uh, uh, perspective, it's it's great for everyone involved. I, one of my favorite things to do in, in uh, all of crypto is to sit down incredibly intelligent people and say, the only two things you have to believe to have a chance at understanding why Bitcoin could be more valuable, you have to believe in, su in supply and demand economics, and you have to believe there's a non-zero chance that demand could increase anywhere in the world. And when you break it down to just two very simple decisions, I've yet to meet anybody who's told me they don't believe in supply demand economics. <laughs> and, the, right? and the second thing is, is even more, right? It's that non-zero chance of anywhere in the world factors, factors exhibiting this. That is such a low bar. It's not yeah. even funny, right? For this to be successful in any in any way shape or form uh, uh, however minimum that success might be it's actually quite a low bar um then um, it's 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 easy to see a world where th this has uh even that even that incredibly low impact and be incredibly rewarding so i'm gonna blow your mind right now here's my big theory as to why young people uh usually kind of 25 to 35 that age group specifically is so um open to this idea. So if you think of our parents, right, you and I are about, about the same age. Um, if you think of our parents, uh, media organizations, financial organizations, the government, say all be all, you know, infallible, um, just they turned it over and said, you know, my life is um, going to be a mirror image of what you want it to be. Right. So the bank's going to do what's best for me. My government's going to do what's best for me, for, et cetera. We happen to enter into our formative years, kind of 16, 17, up to like maybe 24, 25 during the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And we literally saw some of those big stodgy, you know, infallible uh, financial organizations on their knees and, and begging for the government to save them. And some of them went out of business. Right. And then there was some that had to get saved by was private investors, you know, consolidation, all of this stuff where right when we hit those formative years, we saw that that was a lie. And I think what that did was it one created this rut of like dis distrust with a lot of these organizations, but two, it showed us that, wait a minute, this thing may not be what everyone's told us our entire lives. And so now there's this idea of like hedging and crypto is the perfect hedge because it's based on nothing else other than math. And I think another way of phrasing that is we're sort of one of the first generations, if not the first one, to sort of see the the wizard behind the curtain, you mm -hmm. know, and like the Wizard of Oz is no longer magical to us. We sort of see how the sausage is made mm -hmm. and it's and it's crappy. It's inflation driven. It's um, corrupt. It's not built on anything. And then. From that, you know, after seeing people lose their homes, after trying to get a job and not being able to, after seeing that how shaky the foundations of institutions like AIG and Lehman Brothers, <laughs> right? Like AIG, I remember that on Manchester United's jersey. That's how big that was, right? Yep. 
And so it's, it's, it's not hard once you see that to make the leap into questioning more and more. And I think the more you unravel this cookie, the more you realize, well, well, what's gold? What's money? Our grandparents had a gold standard. Mm-hmm. What's that about? Why did we not do that anymore? Why did they tell us that we were only going to get off of it temporarily and exactly. we were going to go back and then we never went back? Exactly, exactly. And then you realize, oh, it's so much better here in in the United States than it is anywhere else. <laughs> oh, this gets so much worse. The scenarios could be horrible. And then on top of that, you you, you then see this thing that you know you can you can buy and trade on your mobile on the cheapest of Android phones, and it's it's. It's fun, it's easy, it makes sense, but I also think that uh, we have been able to question everything because of how bad things got. I'm going to take a couple of pieces of arguments um, or stories that I've heard from both, you know, some of my partners and, and then others in the crypto community. But like, if you ever sit and you think about this idea that there are different colored pieces of paper that are accepted or not accepted based on imaginary lines in the earth. Like that is wild in 2019 when we have the internet <laughs> right? and, and that, that, and that are printed at a rate that is very much driven by politicians who are seeking reelection from the mob. Like <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And I think this is why when you take a step back and you just realize I can send an email from Mongolia to Mozambique very quickly, but but try Western Union and then you want to rip your hair out. It's sort of uh, astronauts get this. Uh, there's this condition that astronauts get when they first see the Earth from above and see a how fragile it is, but b the absence of borders. Oh, that's the same thing. Like this is the same lake that we're all so mm-hmm. you know surrounded by. Um, and I think you, crypto allows you to do that without going to the space shuttle. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> it's not when when moon, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's that we already went to space. Perfect. Exactly. I, I heard a term recently that, uh, that, that somebody came on the podcast and they talked about uh, moon math, which is basically just too complex math for any of us, uh, you know, you know, earth-based humans to, yeah. to do. So we call it moon math. <laughs> um, all right. So let, let's talk a little bit about the regulatory arbitrage across uh, jurisdictions, because you probably more than anyone I know yeah. have spent a bunch of time going to uh, these different geographies and, and really understanding the nuances. Um, kind of give us like a global report of where are we, where are the good spots and the bad spots? Sure. And, and how so you think I think, I think also we have to talk about regulatory arbitrage because I don't think enough people think about it. Okay. Um, but, um, like one of a fun example that's, that's American related is, um, if you think about cannabis, weed is illegal in the United States on a federal level. Sure. A few States have legalized it, but very much it is illegal federally. And a lot of cannabis companies have, have seen the, the issues with that. It's very much legal in Canada. Because it's legal in Canada, an American can buy a Canadian weed company. Mm-hmm. Stock. Amer- yeah, yeah, buy stock. stock. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or the whole company, you know, if they have <laughs> enough money. Uh, an American can buy weed in Amsterdam where it's legal. But more than that, um, a Canadian company can list on the New York Stock Exchange, and they have in the last year because their home jurisdiction is Canada. Because, you know, there's mm-hmm. what 
laws are you applying? We're applying our home jurisdiction. And this allows you to then in, you know, back to the imaginary borders that um, the imaginary lines that you don't see from space, optimize uh, based on where you are, because everyone has benefits and drawbacks. So you're telling me, I actually didn't know this. You're telling me that I can, as an American, buy a weed stock on the U.S. stock exchange that is based, and the company is based in Canada. Yes, yes. I forget the actual company's name. Yep. Um, so basically, but like weed is illegal, but I can is, buy a, there is a, a Canadian. Weed so there's a couple companies that were listed in Toronto that also do a listed mm-hmm. in New York. But there's a company, at least one company that I know of, that listed in New York without even listing in Toronto. I love it's it. It's just, it's a weed company. Um, and there's not a problem with that from a legal perspective. And so that's sort of how I look at the world, <laughs> is that we need a reputable professional jurisdiction. Let me let me ask you this question. What, uh, what happens first? Uh, weed is legalized in the United States or uh, the Federal Reserve and or the president acknowledges uh, Bitcoin as a uh, option, as a national currency? <laughs> uh, I think... I think weed has been struggling for acceptance for decades <laughs> and there's been drug wars, you know, waged on it that they're probably much closer to the finish line than crypto is. I think um, Bill Gates has this uh, line of thinking, this quote about how people overestimate what happens in two years and underestimate it in 10. Yep. And my favorite quotes. It's beautiful. And I think that um crypto will take a little bit longer than most people realize and that's okay sure. um we're very much early and if you compare the internet in 93 and 92 and then when did facebook actually come along when did twitter come along when did uber come along it could easily take another 10 15 years for crypto to touch the world in its entirety um hopefully less because you know we have increased access now but um, I think weed will cross the finish line. Sooner. Dude, medium will suffer because there will be, everyone have already written everything on medium. I don't, uh, yeah, <laughs> Twitter, I, Twitter won't even be fun anymore I, by that point. I, I don't think it's possible to, uh, I don't think it's possible for medium to run out of crypto content. <laughs> I think, I think there, there's, there's uh, plenty more for the next hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where, where do you think, uh, if you're somebody sitting at home, uh, and you're interested in geographic arbitrage, what, what are some interesting jurisdictions or, or plays there that, that, uh, they should look at? So I, I think that, um, I, I, the, the places that, that come to mind are Switzerland, Malta, Singapore. And even if you look at the amount of uh, crypto companies, blockchain companies that are starting there, um, they're getting a lot of attention uh, by the regulators. There, there are rules and procedures, and, and yep. that's that's what m- most people don't realize is that when you're saying that you know you want to be accepted, you're asking for additional rules. You're asking to be regulated, <laughs> right? Um, tell me what not to do, and I promise uh, that I that I will I will follow that. Um, and so I think those are the top three jurisdictions. Uh, people should research what exactly they're looking for and what each jurisdiction has. I think Switzerland and Singapore are probably the leaders in terms of that from a European and an Asian uh, Western Eastern perspective. Malta's up there, but not quite as um, built up as uh, Switzerland, just because it, it, Switzerland had uh, a bigger head start. But I think that it's also... Um, like a lot of people in the crypto community dismiss regulators. 
I think regulators are incredibly smart and they're frankly trying to just do their jobs and they're excited about innovation. They just want to do it in a um, safer way. And my point behind that is that despite whatever regulation, whatever jurisdiction I'm in, I'm in constant contact with a lot of territories that you might perceive as to be hostile towards crypto. And that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I would I would caution people on just choosing, you know, um, one jurisdiction and forgetting about the rest. Everyone needs to be educated and everyone will switch at some point. Of course. Every technological innovation that we've had, everyone has switched um, at some point. It's sort of, I think it's analogous to how Uber has spread, right? Um, a lot of cities, a lot of countries, scooters, we're seeing this in scooters today, right? Are saying no. But Dude, you scoot- just know, scooters are amazing. But you just know that this will be around the world in every country, in every city, it will be inevitable that Uber will be there, scooters will be there, that kind of thing will spread. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's so dumb to just dismiss that and not um, keep thinking, keep talking, keep educating. Yeah. Um, my favorite part about the whole scooter mania that's going on right now is like the segue was was so much cooler like it really was and it just it was too early it was way too early and they should have done you know more fun things than playing polo with it i don't, I don't remember i don't think they did much besides mall cops and polo on, on segway did you ever see them do the like this the downtown city tours and yeah you know, these, like tier two cities yeah, right yeah, now he's yeah. got the helmets on it's like a whole family going out for the city tour on a segway it's sort of it's sort of the difference between you know uh uh, snap spectacles and google glass right just not much the future is bright the future yeah. is bright um all right what is the one thing going through the process you did to get this etp listed that you wish every crypto entrepreneur knew that they probably don't that's a hard question that's i only ask really tough questions here yeah. so welcome um so I, you brought up Medium before. I think it's so incredibly um, powerful to be able to explain oneself in the industry to people. I think in my experience, and I've built, I've built fintech companies before, I, I've built API companies before, so it's a fairly technical background. Um, just explaining what something is in a couple sentences is very difficult. And you're only able to do that if you fully understand it well. And on top of that, you've thought about what uh, the other side would perceive it as. And I think we have a colossal marketing optics issue within the sector that is crypto um, as a result of not being able to do that and not being able to point to enough examples of literature, resources, et cetera. It has gotten so much better, but um, I was surprised. My team was surprised at, again, just how, and it, it, it sounds it sounds dismissive, and this was completely our fault, but how intelligent and professional regulators are. Like mm-hmm. when you really sit down with them and you explain what this is, they understand it because they're actually quite qualified at their positions. There's a reason they've been doing what they're doing. And I think that this communication issue has set crypto back so much uh, because it it enables um, a lot of bad narratives to stay because they don't have enough 
simple defensibility. I'd agree with that. I'm on board. Uh, before I finish up, I always ask a rapid fire round of questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. What's your most controversial thought in crypto? Um, I think that um, Bitcoin maximalist and altcoin maximalist probably have it wrong and both will not be the top one in the long run. And so there's somewhere in between of not maximalist? There's something that hasn't been created yet that we haven't seen. Ooh. Like, I'm not even going to go there. I just, I, you know, like no one is searching on Lycos or Alta Vista anymore. Odds that Bitcoin is not the king five years from now. I think it takes 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 probably a little bit longer than you five see, years. I messed you up with the time frame. Takes probably <laughs> a little bit longer than five years. But but again, like again, Yahoo was a really big deal in the nineties, mm. and there were sites that no one has heard of, like Lycos and Alta Vista, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, I, I don't think that anyone has um, that much staying power. And whenever people uh, believe in someone staying power that much, I, I, I tend to want to throw 10 biffs the other way. <laughs> All right. Uh, most important company in crypto other than your own? Um, I think what Binance is doing on a global level is um, absolutely absurd in every way. He, he, and he's on another level. He's on another level. And, um, and, and he, I'll even go a step further. U.S. entrepreneurs don't get it because they're so their heads are so wrapped around U.S. rules, regulations, the way that you build companies, etc. This dude is out executing everybody. And, and, you know, that, that by itself could be, you know, a controversial thought that I, that I agree with. I think innovation in crypto is not going to come from the U S because the, you sort of have to be your own user in order to create a a huge product. And this is very much done for Uganda and Kenya and who's opening up exchanges there. Binance, who do they compete with? Nobody. Meanwhile, Africa will have a higher population than China pretty soon. And it's rising. Mm-hmm. And so I think that in terms of the ecosystem and just the breakneck speed at which they're doing it, it's unbelievable. I've had a lot of people come on and, and they're always talking negatively about the business practices and, and all this stuff. And, and I pretty much say, look, there's a lot that you could argue with, right? And kind of the execution, et cetera. But the one thing you can't argue with is just the absolute speed to launch a company and in less than, you know, two and a half, three years, literally a billion dollars in revenue in a quarter. And people hated on Travis Kalanick. People hated and still hate on Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's regardless of the methods, regardless of whether or not in the long run it will be successful because again, who knows about staying power? Yep. Absolutely. But what they've done in the time they've done it in the places they've done it with a foresight and ambition that is running this company. It's crazy. It's, just, it's ridiculous. What, um, on 15 million in, in, in total race, by the way, right. That was their ICO. Oh yeah. He did like nothing, nothing, yeah. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. And you compare it's crazy to, that we're saying 15 is nothing, but yeah, but still compared no, to the two fifty raises, but it's nothing to a company that has only raised 15 million. And I think, um, monthly sees 20 billion of trading volume. Something it's crazy. Like uh, if you could wave a magic wand and change or improve any one regulation, what would it be? 
Oh, I think I, I think you'll like this. Accreditation laws don't make sense. Let's go <laughs> anywhere, <laughs> anywhere. Um, I I I do not. I think there are barometers. You know, to uh, there's got to be sure. something. There has yeah, to be yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely, yeah. people have to be protected in some ways. I get wealth, that. Probably not the but best. Wealth one. is not it, right? <laughs> wealth is not it. If you take a look at the celebrities on TMZ, they're accredited investors. <laughs> some of the early stage engineers are not. That sounds like something is is messed up. <laughs> we think Kanye invests in. Like you, think, I, you, you think he's like, <laughs> other than like shopping, like like actual investments. What, what do you think he's like? Hey, I want to put five percent of my net worth in. He's buying stocks. So I, I think that it's impossible for someone to reach that much staying power that consistently. Kanye's pretty old. Like he's not a twenty-year-old yeah. rapper, right? And he's been he's been at the apex at the zenith for a long time. The guy's smart. Like Listen. he very clearly has, and and he's in an industry where you know it's the first time he he made money. It's the first time he really saw a lot of money, and he's kept it and he's grown it. I I think he has a well diversified portfolio by the right advisors, and I I wouldn't dismiss or worry about Kanye's economic prowess. I uh, I love the quote. Uh, Tell me a genius, uh, you know that's not crazy. <laughs> right think of all, think of all the people you think are really intelligent they got a little edge on them obviously he has an edge but um is it all just you know hubris and random luck no yeah of course there's some luck but in order you can't be lucky for 20 30 years you can be lucky for a couple and i think that um yeah, he, he, he probably has very good financial advisors that are growing both his and his wife's uh, fortunes. And yeah. they've both done a great job despite what their optics uh did, did you see indicate. the picture he took with uh, the uh, the art of JP Morgan at JP Morgan? No. Oh man. <laughs> you it, whoever's listening to this, you gotta go on his Twitter account and he took a picture and I forget the exact caption, but it's like JP Morgan in this huge floor to ceiling photo sitting like in a chair. Oh wow. And Kanye's standing there in basically like a regular, you know, sweat sweater with a uh, with a hat on, and he's like, Me and JP gonna take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, know and he's, he's he's a contrarian so if anything yeah. I, I could i could see him i could see him you know uh latching onto bitcoin his, his uh his cell phone password is uh zero 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 because when he was in the president's office they saw him hitting it and uh you might not remember this but there was a while where i kept tweeting at him trying to get him to tweet about bitcoin i don't remember this that's absurd oh man every time he <laughs> tweeted i would respond immediately because here because here was the mistake twitter made twitter kept putting my tweet because it's a verified account with a yeah. lot of followers right under his. So the first response you would see to all of his tweets was mine. So it was like free advertising, basically. Are you blocked? No, even better. You're not blocked. I kept tweeting about him, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And all of a sudden he, he tweeted out in all caps, decentralize. And I was like, man, the next one's got to be oh. a Bitcoin. <laughs> Never did it, but uh, eventually <laughs> I gave just up. just share a public address. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. What is the most important book you've ever read? Um, has nothing to do with tech, um, animal farm. What is that? So, you know, 1984, the book or the year, the book. Okay. The book it's by this author called George Orwell. 1984 is his best book. Okay. Everyone knows 19, uh, sorry, sorry. Animal farm is his best book. Everyone knows 1984. Um, 
it's this analogy of um, a farm, um, but every character in it is tied somehow to the Russian Revolution. And so Jesus. Trotsky and Stalin are the pigs and the horse is the workhorse that is the Russian people and the raven is religion. And it is, it's like a hundred pages and it's super easy to read. Like I think I read it in the fifth grade. Um, Still be tough for me, but I got It's you. so powerful and so simple. And, and, and back to, you know, like my, my marketing points and how simple is actually really hard to accomplish. I think it's, it's, it's one of the best shortest things that's ever been written. And you could, you could read it in a few hours. So I should read it. Yeah. All right. It has nothing it, to do with crypto. That's sorry. fine. Animal farm. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Not Animal farm. I'll go read it. Um, all right. Uh, we usually end with you asking me one question, but before we do that probability that aliens exist. Um, Probability that aliens exist. I think in 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 one reality in the multiverse, it is highly likely that there's another intelligent life form. But whether that exists in our own universe as part of the infinite bubble bath that is the multiverse, who knows? Are you on the uh, simulation train? Um, I I um, I don't know about simulations. Um, <laughs> But I, 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 I've read, I've read a ton about, um, string theory, multiverse, hidden dimensions, and, uh, that astounds me. And so that, that's, that's sort of where that came from. I think there, there's multiple realities, did, multiple universes. Did it's you a see whole crazy world out there? The head of Harvard's astronomy department. Oh, is like, yo, there was a spaceship. I know what you're talking about. And he's like, I don't care if any of you don't believe me. There was a spaceship. And I'm sitting here like, is anybody else reading this? So, so (laughs) the, the, the head of, um, Harvard astronomy, who's this really, uh, famous, um, I think Israeli physicist, right? Okay. Uh, there's an object that he says has entered and exited the solar system in a way that is, uh, mechanically controlled. Like this is not a natural projectile. It should not move like that according to the laws of physics of just a stationary object. Um, that's fascinating. I, I, I think it's, I think the most interesting thing about that is that they, they came, they saw, and then they pieced, right? They were so, like, we're not messing with y'all. Like, we are not doing this. Y'all are way gone from being saved. <laughs> we are not doing this. Dude, if in our lifetime aliens show up, I, I'll literally die so happy. Uh, like, what would you do if you met an alien? Um, I mean, I think I think at first I would be completely and utterly terrified. I mean, if you really? think, if you think about it, if you think about it, what what have Europeans done to the natives who look and speak and you know seem exactly like them? Like, there has never been there has never been a case where explorers who are smart enough to traverse the universe to come here in the same way that we, you know, traversed the Atlantic or went to Australia. It doesn't end well for the natives. Listen, the aliens are coming. They're going to be super peaceful. It, they're going okay, to, they're, sure. they're going to want to go grab a beer at the bar. Don't sure. worry. <laughs> they, they're going to use our bodies for fuel. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what one question would you ask me to finish it up? So I, I have never actually heard how you personally got into crypto. And I think there's always... What's crypto? 
exactly. <laughs> no, th- th- these are always my, my, my like favorite stories because you see how everyone is sort of like intellectually curious and has managed to find their own way of figuring it out. And so I think you're very well known into security tokens. Talk a little bit about your history of actually exploring crypto. And did you ever believe in um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the other coins as much as you today believe in um, security backed? So 2014 was working at Facebook. First time I ever heard about it, literally turned to an engineer. was like, what is this? You're like, man, it's nothing. I was like, okay, you're smarter than me. Uh, I trust you. <laughs> Guess it's nothing. 2016, like, man, call hey, man, that kind of, that didn't go very well. <laughs> um, and, so you uh, bought some. So in 2016, uh, I did not buy any. I started building mining facilities. Ah. Because, uh, long story short, my family's been in uh, data center business for a long time. Just grew up in and around it. Um, and, uh, my business partner and I, uh, Jason Williams had, um, invested in a, uh, energy company. And so they basically take car tires, burn it, turn it into oil, steel, and energy, um, sell the oil and the steel as a commodity with this power source, uh, company's called PRTI. And, uh, so there was this long conversation. What do we do with the power? Do we sell it to the grid? And. I kind of half joking at first, like, ah, I wish build these rigs. And Jason like looked into it and then Jason like went over, you know, overboard my overboard and was like, we're doing it. <laughs> and, uh, to his credit, I mean, he drove the whole thing and, uh, literally started mining crypto and, um, you know, it was the, that's nice to get introduced to such an atomic energy. level, like well, the base layer. So this was all like personal interest type stuff. We didn't do it out of a fund. We had anything. And, um, when you start mining, you got to figure out wallets, you got to figure out exchanges, you got to figure out, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff that if you just go on Coinbase and buy, you don't have to. Um, and when we got through all that, we were like, man, this, this is a huge opportunity for somebody to go deploy capital in a really uh, effective way. And uh, so we went all in on it. And did anything in that experience like surprise you uh, so much? Were you, were you taken back at any one like, do you remember a particular moment where you just... Yeah. The price kept going up. No, aside, <laughs> aside, aside from the price, just just from no, I, like the social dynamic, how people were treating it, anything like that? The, the biggest thing that surprised me was this idea that um, the network could be the customer. So in the data center business, you have to rent out computing power to customers and you got to deal with going and finding them, convincing them, mm-hmm. you know, closing the sale, customer service, all that kind of stuff. The idea that you just completely removed the human based customer or company as the, you know, the, the driver of your revenue and instead focused on just renting the competing power to a network blew my mind. Uh, and then we built like three more (laughs) and we were like, all right, I think this is enough for us. Um, so let's hope Filecoin releases soon. We won't even get into, uh, my my whole theory on, uh, so I I wrote about recently, so I, I can say one sentence on it. You can apply Newton's law of motion to companies. Those with no momentum are likely to stay with no momentum. And those with lots of momentum Uh are likely to gain more momentum. And so if you raised money in 2017 and we're in 2019, you didn't release your product yet. I think less than 20% of those companies that fit that that profiler criteria are going to be successful, but we'll see. I, I, I agree with you and I hope that we're both 
wrong, wrong. in oh, enough I, cases. By the way, I completely I hope completely I'm wrong. agree with you. I think twenty percent is too high. <laughs> but I hope that because you know it's been years and yep. you've you've had tens of millions of dollars or hundreds. Um yeah, I I, I I hope that the few exceptions there we'll see. Do something. All right, man. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll have to do it again when uh when you've got the uh most traded exchange traded product in the United States one day. From from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> All right, man, brother, right. appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to that podcast. Before I let you go, one more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today. Hey, everyone. POMP here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.